want to invite you to uh, take out a Bible. If you have a copy of Scripture with you, and I hope you do, um, you can uh, take that out and um, open up to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, you are invited to use one of ours. You can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own a copy, you're welcome to take that home. Uh, with you. Uh, that's our uh, gift to you. We're continuing in our series uh, in Hebrews. And uh, it's, uh, if, if you've been coming, that's not a surprise to you. Um, but we've been in Hebrews now for a couple months, and uh, we are making our way through it. And uh, this morning, we come to a bit of a turning spot uh, in the passage. And uh, what we're going to find uh, this morning is uh, similar to uh, some of the other um, epistles, uh, some of the other letters that are in the New Testament, is a lot of times uh, just kind of one, one framework to sort of help you read God's Word. If you are in uh, one of the, especially New Testament letters, oftentimes it begins with a lot of theology and doctrine and teaching. And, and so it sort of begins in that place. And then at some point, there's sort of this turn. And then the second half is like, okay, in light of everything that we've now looked at and studied and now know, now you take that and live that out. And one of our values, one of the things that we are going after here at City on a Hill is that we want to, um, we want to move toward application. You know, you've maybe heard me say it before, but I don't believe that the church, I don't believe our church is hurting for a lack of information. We're, we're hurting for a lack of application. I mean, just think about it. All the things that you already know, if you've been spent any time in church, if you spent any time studying God's word, if you were to just kind of hit the pause button and you were to spend um, just the next several weeks focusing on no new information, just acting on everything that you already know, I think you would have plenty to get after and do, right? But we live in a time in a world where we love information. We love to consume. We love to learn. We love to kind of absorb new things. And so sometimes what ends up happening as we approach God's word is we, we like to learn it, uh, but we don't always then take it and apply it. If you're in a small group, that's what our goal for small groups is. We're going after the application of God's word. That's why we meet throughout the week, and many of our groups are sort of, they change up the schedule during the summer. I recognize that, and so if you're in a small group, you might be sort of on pause or doing some fun things like, you know, meeting at the park or grilling out or serving somewhere, and, and you know, there's a variety of things that we kind of do in the summer, but, but we're still, as we gather, and we're going to return to that regular schedule as we approach fall, um, some of you hardcore groups, and I don't, need, I don't need to know which ones you are. I already do, though. Um, but uh, I know some of you are like, you're like, no, we're going through the summer. We're still, we're still in it, and that's, that's great. You're going to get um, extra points um, somewhere at some point, I'm sure. Um, I'm joking. But what we want to do is we engage in God's word is we're trying to apply it. We want to live out the truth of Scripture. And sometimes um, that is actually a refreshing thing um, because I think we tend to slip back into uh, moments of uh, legalism. Uh, we tend to kind of operate in this, this sense of like, what do I need to do? What's the list? Give me the checklist of, of things that I have to um, happen. And, um, and so sometimes the application is like trying to uh, just sort of check boxes rather than responding to the truth that God has shown us uh, in his word. And up to this point, this has been much of what Hebrews has been about. And uh, Hebrews, as I've said now for the last several weeks, it gets a little repetitive. Uh, the repetition is intentional. The repetition is a tool that the, the preacher or the author is using um, to drive a point home. 
And I am pleased to inform you today we are turning the corner and we're going to kind of respond to what we've been hearing and, and responding to um, for, all of, um, for, for quite a while here. And I'm calling this morning, since we have, let us. There's two phrases you're going to see in the scriptures this morning. Since we have, let us. Because of this, because of all the things that have been set up to this point, because of all these things that we know, now let us. And then there's this call to action. And so that's what we're uh, doing here uh, this morning and kind of beginning in this place of uh, review as we approach chapter 10. Let me just kind of give you the point. You can, um, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to begin by just sort of a quick review. It's a review, and that's what he's saying here in chapter 10. It's since we have. And uh, it begins in chapter uh, 10, verse 1. He says, For since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come and of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually being offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. And he goes on from there. We're going to look at it. But it should sound, if you've been with us, it should sound really familiar, like, oh, we're still talking about that. And what he's doing is he's kind of doing a little bit of review. And the response, the let us, is going to respond to not just, um, uh, not just the, it actually is all 10 chapters leading up to this point, or all nine chapters leading up to chapter 10, but especially chapters 5 uh, through 9 is, is the response here. And let me just kind of give you a quick summary um, of where we've come so, so far in the book of Hebrews. What we've seen so far is in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is better than all the prophets and the angels. And then in chapter 2, we saw that Jesus secures for us a better salvation than the Old Testament law of Moses. In chapter 3, we saw that Jesus is a better leader, and he's leading um, in a better way than Moses, leading us to a better place. And then in chapter 4, we see that Jesus offers a better rest than the rest of Joshua and the promised land that he was leading to. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all focused on one theme, and that is that Jesus is a better high priest than Aaron and all the other priests and high priests combined. In chapter 8, we saw that Jesus established a better covenant for his people. And in chapter 9, Jesus is a better sacrifice with a better promised result. We can leave that up there for a second if you want to jot that down or uh, snap a picture. That's, that's fine. I know, um, I know maybe it's helpful, but... Um, I know maybe one of the questions you're asking is, well, what have we been doing for the last two months? You just preached all of Hebrews 1 through 9 in like 30 seconds there, okay? That's what we've seen so far, all right? We've seen that Jesus is better, and all of it's been leading up to uh, this moment. And so, again, he's just kind of reviewing here in this, and I want to draw our attention to these three since we have statements that are in the passage here uh, this morning. And he says, uh, in verse 10, we kind of come across the first one. So Hebrews 10, verse 10, uh, it says this. And if you didn't get that, we can send that out. We can uh, send that out in the weekly. But Hebrews 10, verse 10, it says, And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here's kind of the first uh, since we have been. It's, it's since we have been sanctified. And he's reviewing what has happened through Christ and through his sacrifice and through his work in the, in the holy places, right? the eternal, the, the true holy places, what he's done there. Again, in case you're just jumping in to kind of catch us up for a minute, let's just walk through the verses leading up to verse 10. 
I just want to kind of unpack this. I'm going to move quickly through the review this morning. I want to get to the application. I think some of you do too. You've been like, okay, this is great. How do I, what, 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 what matters because of this? We're going to get to that. But let's look at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually being offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Again, this is all should be familiar. It's talking about the futility, the imperfect form of the sacrificial system. It was but a shadow. How great is a shadow when you have the real thing? Not that great, right? Like if I'm, I'm going for a walk with Bree and we happen to have the sun at our back and there's a shadow there and I keep looking at her shadow and I'm like, man, you're so beautiful. Like, look at that shadow. Like, that's just incredible. You know, it's like, and I'm just going on and on and on about the shadow. Um, after a while, like, maybe the first time, she's like, oh, he even likes my shadow. You know, like, maybe the first time, like, it's, it's kind of sweet. But if I'm just kind of going on and on and on over the shadow, at some point, she's going to be like, hey, dummy, like, I'm right here. Like, look at me. You know, like, that's, that's, it. that's great. But, but the, you know, the shadow of the, of, of, it was the shadow of what was to come is what the Old Testament was. It was a shadow. And so the shadow was never able to make perfect those who draw near. Verse 2, otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious of sins. He's like, that's why they had to be offered every year is because it wasn't doing the job of forgiving and taking away sins. That continues in verse 3. He says, but in the sacrifice, there's a reminder of sins every year. And so yes, the sins are being atoned for, but then next year, that, sin, that sacrifice is back. I was like, man, we sinned again. We sinned again. We sinned again. And so year after year, I mean, imagine by the time you're in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, you've now made that journey to the temple or to the tabernacle decade after decade after decade, and you're reminded year after year after year of your sins. And it says, listen, every year there's a reminder of the shortcoming. And it says, verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In a burnt offering and sin offerings you have ta you taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is a really interesting quote here. Um, we don't find this quote anywhere from the Gospels, Right? Uh, this actually, maybe your Bible has a little note. This is a quote from Psalm 40. And it's so interesting the way that it's phrased. It says, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then it's Psalm 40. Uh, commentators like to kind of like geek out a little bit about this. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, when did he say, you know, that kind of thing. And I think we would all agree, right, that as you read the Gospels, Jesus said some other things that weren't recorded in the Gospels, right? Like we don't have every word he ever said. And then also, does it stand to reason that if the Bible or Scripture, the Psalms, are the Word of God, that it should sound a lot like something that Christ would say? And so I just love this little affirmation of the power and authority and, 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 uh, and, and, and the way that Scripture is the spoken Word of God. Here it's attributing words to Jesus that were written by the psalmist David years and years before. And he says that I have taken no pleasure, right, in your burnt offerings, your sin, your sin offerings. There's no pleasure in that. Verse 80 continues. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. But then he offered, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order in order to establish 
the second. And I think maybe at this point, and just to kind of you know, wrap up where we're coming from, I think one of the questions might be, okay, if, if the Old Testament system, if the sacrificial system was so insufficient to take away sins, why did God ever institute it, right? Like it says, blood of bulls and goats, it's impossible for them to take away sins. So then what were they doing in that time? And I think all the, all the difference that you have to understand, God doesn't take any pleasure or delight in the sacrifices, the animals being killed. What he does take delight in, what he does take pleasure in, is the heart of the worshiper that's offering it. There is delight in that humble, obedient response to the system that God had put in place. There's an important distinction to make sure. It is not the blood being spilled that God is so excited about. He is excited to see the hearts of his people respond in humble submission. That is what he is after. And that's why he says, I take no delight in that. But behold, what? I have taken desire in but a body that you have prepared for me. It says sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you have prepared for me. So God established the animal sacrifices as an object lesson to instruct his people. What did it instruct his people about? It told them about the pervasiveness of sin in the human hearts. Right? Every year, year after year, they were reminded of the pervasiveness of sin. Some of us, we forget that. We don't know that, but sin is pervasive. It's, it's prevalent in our lives. It was a reminder, it was an object lesson to his people about God's hatred for sin. He despises sin. He has no desire to be, he can't be around. It's, 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 it's opposite, contrary to who he is. And therefore, he hates it. It was an object lesson in the consequence of sin leading to death. There was a reminder that because of sin, there was a need for death. It was an object lesson of the people's need for atonement, right? That there's a penalty, there's a payment that needs to be made. So every year, they're like, well, because of my sin, there was an atonement that needed to be made. It was a picture of God's delight in hearts clean and obedient and faithful, like God delighted in the hearts of the people, and so they were reminded of that every year. And so God did not delight in sacrifices, but God did delight in a contrite and obedient heart. And what we see is that Jesus' example to us, his obedience, Jesus desires our obedience as well, and this is the sacrifice acceptable to God. It's a humble response to what Christ has done. So therefore, now we arrive at verse 10. Since then, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So it had nothing to do with blood and gold that whole time. Even though the people of the Old Testament didn't know it, they were anticipating the perfect sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. And all of that was pointing forward, shadowing, foreshadowing, being an object lesson to what Jesus was going to do. And the same thing applies to us if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been sanctified. That means you have been washed clean. You have been made pure. You have been redeemed. You've been bought back. All of that is contained in that word sanctified. We have been sanctified. Let's finish up our review. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Notice what is said there. The priest stands. He does so daily. 
And he's offering the same sacrifices, repeatedly taking these sacrifices that can never take away sins, okay? That's the old system. New system. When Christ offered for all time a sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See the difference? The priest was standing daily. What does Christ do after the sacrifice? He sits down. Hopefully by now you know what that's a picture of. That's a picture of the finished work, right? We sit down when we're done. We've talked about that a couple of times, but Christ sits down. And he's not offering it daily. It was one time for all time. There was a single sacrifice that was offered. So in contrast to the priest going daily before God with the sacrifices, his sacrifice was a single sacrifice. And it says, can never take away sins. Christ was sufficient. It took away sins for all time. For a single sacrifice, he has protected, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There we get an expansion of this since we have been. We're not just having been sanctified, we are being sanctified. And that's one of the mysteries of the faith. I think it was, I want to say it was Martin Luther or Spurgeon or something. Some of these times, these old dead guys that were so, you know, so good at writing things get, get confused in my head. So I'm going to attribute it to Luther. I'll fix it later if not. I think it was Luther who said, he talked about the mystery of like, the sanctification, that your saints being sanctified and also a sinner pervasive in sin at the same time. Like we are still in our sin. We're still sinning. But our standing before God, we are at the same time being sanctified by Christ. And so your standing has been, um, been changed, but, but your status before God is, is totally different because of what Jesus has done. We've said it this way before. It's like the phone still rings, but in Christ you don't have to answer it. Right? Like there's a change that comes. And so this is what's happened. And so let's continue. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after, this, after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What a statement. What a statement. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. We know that God doesn't forget. Right? But he chooses not to remember. He puts it away. And so it's like he forgets. It's even better, right? I'm choosing to forget that. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It's like, God, do you remember when I did that? He's like, what are you talking about? No, I don't. Christ's blood covers that. I don't know what you're referring to. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the first since we have been. If you are in Christ, you have been and are being sanctified. Again, all review. If you've missed it, go back, maybe listen to the podcast, watch it on YouTube, whatever. You can catch up to where we've been coming from. We're gonna go forward. Let's look at the next since we have been statement. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, this is the turn. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, that's the second one, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The second statement is since we have confidence to enter the holy places. We are complicated beings. Uh, I think you probably know this, but we are 
our, 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 our being is composed not just of physical matter, right? Like we also have our, a brain and a mind, and so there's thoughts. But we also know that we're spiritual beings, and so there's a, a spirit. And one of the things that we haven't even touched on is we've been talking about the sacrificial system, but do you recognize that all three are sort of addressed in that picture of the tabernacle and the temple? You see this washing away and, and this bodily um, kind of action of, of the sacrifices that were done in the outer court, right? The body, the external is, is dealt with there. The scrolls were actually kept in that holy place, and the mind, therefore, is, is addressed in, in the the words of God. And then that inner place was where the spirit of God dwelt and the spirit is changed and transformed in that. What he's saying here when he says, since therefore we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that is, that all of that, that picture of that, everything, that, that kind of curtain around, all the barriers, all the regulations, everything that had been put together, we've said this before, it was meant to say, like stay away, right? Keep your distance, when you approach, approach only in this way and only at this time and only these people and only for this reason. And it, was, it had all these rules and regulations. And what changed at the cross? We looked at this back on Good Friday and Easter, but the curtain was torn open, right? The physical veil, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was, was torn from, it says, top to bottom. Not bottom to top. Man didn't do it. Top to bottom. God did it. He opened this way, and it says that there is now a new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain. There's this wordplay going on. It's not just that we're walking through a veil. We are walking through the very body of Christ to enter the holy places. The body of Christ was rent. It was torn in two, right, on the cross. And so his body being opened, that is the access point. That's what it says there. Through his flesh, we have access to enter the holy place is not just access, but we have a confidence in this access. We can walk into the very presence of God with boldness, with confidence, with assurance. Notice what it says. By the new and living way that he opened for us. How do we enter into this new and living way? Well, it's by the blood of Jesus. Not by the blood of goats and bulls. That's what they would do right? The priests would sprinkle themselves with that to enter into that place, but it is through the blood of Jesus that we have access in. So we have confidence to enter the holy places. There's so much more. Again, there's like so much packed in this. Your homework is to like go back and look at these. We're looking at these verses quick. We see acceptance in our sanctification. We see access to enter confidently into the holy places. Third, we see that we have an advocate. That's what verse 21 is. Look at your scripture. It says, and since we have a high priest, our advocate over the house of God. That's the third since we have statement. Since we have a great high priest. One of the things that the high priest did, and hopefully by now you know, what do high priests do? They get people to God, right? What do high priests do? All right, there we go. They get people to God. And what we said was is that the high priests of the Old Testament system, they were pretty good uh, at getting to God in the way that they were you know, able to and trying to. But Jesus, as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, better than all the other high priests, was able to get people to God in a different way. He was able to actually get people to God. But one of the things that priests did is they would go before God in that holy of holies is they would wear on their garments stones, precious stones. 
And there was a, a breastplate of 12 of them. Do you know what the significance of that was? It was representing the tribes of Israel. And so what they would do is they would go into this place and they would um, offer sacrifice, offer this blood on behalf of the, the bulls and the goats. And they, would, they would offer that. And then the, having that breastplate with those stones, it was they were advocating on behalf of Israel. They were representing Israel in a way that they couldn't. They were getting people to God. And here's the thing that we understand about Jesus is that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who gets us to God and he advocates on our behalf. In the same way that the priest wore this, this special vestment in his ministry, Jesus bears us on the very center of his being. On the cross, it says that all of our sins were laid to bear on Jesus. He was representing us. He's our advocate. If you wonder what Jesus is doing in this moment right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is advocating on your behalf. If you are in Christ, he is saying like, I've paid for that. I've covered that. I know them. I've changed them. I'm working on them. Like he is advocating on your behalf. You have a great high priest in the house of God. What an incredible truth that we see here. And so listen, we're going to turn the corner here. We're going to move to application here, but we have to have this down. He's just trying one more chance. Like in case you've missed it, right? We're going to just revisit one more time. Since you have been sanctified, since you can enter those holy places and you have this confidence in that, and since we have a great high priest, now let us respond to this. And this is how we respond. These are the let us statements. What does he say? Let me just read all three of the verses together and then we're gonna walk our way through them. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the thing. Some of you, you know this verse. You've read this verse. We even looked at it again on Easter weekend. But I think when you read it now, right, having all of the context, all of the buildup that we've had to this point, I hope that it hits a little bit differently, right? Like I hope that it lands a little bit differently as we do it. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Right, Because he's writing to a discouraged group of Christians that are considering walking away, abandoning their faith. And he's like, don't do that. God has worked on your behalf. And because of the way that he's worked, because of his sanctification, because of his access, because of his advocacy, you can hold on. And he says it in three ways. The first, let's kind of look at them together. The first is, it says, let us draw near. That's the first let us. Let us draw near. I want to be super clear about this. This is not a veiled reference to coming to church, okay? This isn't like coming to a church service. Now, certainly, you draw near to God here. I hope that you feel and sense God's presence. You know, as we sing, there's so many times that I can sense God's presence and his moving here in this room. That's one of the things that we pray for every morning. We ask for God's manifest presence to be seen here in this place. And so again, hopefully you experience and you know the presence of God. You feel near him when you're here in this room, when you're here on this property, in this building. I pray and trust that that's true. But we also have to be super clear that this is not the only place that you do that. It is not any longer about location. 
The people of God, if they wanted to draw near to God, they had to travel to that tabernacle, which was in Shiloh, once they had the promised land. Or once the temple was built, it was in Jerusalem. They had to make the trek, make the journey there, and that's how they would draw near to God, no longer. You can draw near to God wherever you are at. And hopefully you are drawing near to God on a regular basis. You can do that in the morning as you wake up. You can do that from your car. You can do that in your cubicle, in your office, in the halls of your school. You can do that when you are walking down the street. You can do that when you are sitting at the dinner table. You can do that when you are having fun or running around or doing whatever. Like You can draw near to God at any time. What an incredible truth. Everything changed because of Jesus Christ. That was not always the case. Our sin separated us from God. And Jesus made a way that we would draw near. And so the encouragement here, the invitation is that we would come close, that we would get in proximity to God. It's inferred here. Notice it doesn't say, let us draw near to God. Well, that's just kind of inferred in all of that that's been said. And if you really need to, you can go back and look. There's many chapters before where it talks about drawing near to God in previous chapters. So it says, let us draw near. Draw near to what? Draw near to God. How? With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil conscious, from an evil conscious, and our bodies washed with pure water. As we approach and draw near to God, know this that you can do it with a clean heart and a pure body under the full assurance of faith, not by your own merit, not by anything that you have done, but purely because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What an incredible invitation. My hope for us today, though, is that we would understand just what this means. You know, you and I, we know each other in certain contexts. If you get to know me, you know that let me say it this way. Some pastors can be sort of distant or um, <laughs> uh, um, kind of intimidating. And uh, if you've ever spent time with me, I'm not one of those kind of pastors. Um, I met recently, I was just joking last week about this because um, a guy started attending our church and he wanted to meet with me and he came in the door and he was like so nervous. And he's like, what do I call you? What do I do? All this. And I'm like, dude, I just call me Dave. Like, not Pastor Dave. And I'm like, no, just you can call me Dave. Like, if you want to call me Pastor Dave, you can. I'm not going to like... You know, some of you do, and that just feels better, and that's fine, okay? But he was so nervous. And, and as we met, he's like, okay, this was, like, way easier than I thought. And we've continued to kind of meet, and now we kind of laugh about it. I'm like, dude, do you remember when you were, like, nervous when you met with me? He's like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, like, he, like, he knows me now. He's like, you know, this is the opposite of that, right? And so, but here's the thing. Even in that situation, even in that context, as good of friends as we might be, you do not have any sort of relationship or, or sort of access that uh, my children have. I was thinking about this even this week. Our, our, our youngest is five, um, and uh, it's a sweet time of life. I was just telling someone before the service, I want to find the pause button. Um, our kids like us. Um, they're all kind of home. There's not any babies that are waking us up at night. You know? So it's a kind of sweet time. We've got five to 15 right now, okay? There's five of them if you, don't know, um, if you don't know our family. So we've got four girls, and then our youngest is a boy. So Levi's five right now, and every morning he wakes up, and he makes his way into our bed. Um, and he greets us. He's a cuddler, like he's like a little snuggler. And he'll often come in. He's been awake for like 0.3 seconds by the time he walks into that room, okay? So he's like groggy, and I'm like, hey, bud, what's going on? And he like kind of crawls onto the bed. He's like still out of it. And I'm like, dude, you want to snuggle? He's like, yeah. 
He's like, you always love snuggling. And there's a rule. Dad's always awake when he gets in there. I'm, I'm usually up, and, and um, sometimes I'm out, but sometimes I'm just laying there, just kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, just, just waiting for the day to start. And, and so I'm usually awake. And so he knows that until mom gives permission, he snuggles with dad. And that's like the only way I get the snuggles in anyways. He's like, would way rather snuggle with dad. But, you know, I always invite him. I'm like, hey, bud, you want to snuggle? And what he does, I mean, he gets in those covers, and he just kind of snuggles up close, and we just kind of sit there together. And it's some of the sweetest times. It's this, this proximity, this, and I'll just say, hey, how'd you sleep? What's going on? You know, and, and got any stories for me? What's it? You know, it's just such a sweet little moment, the two of us uh, together. I want you to have that picture with your heavenly father. He invites us into close proximity. He's not distant and aloof and removed and someone who's kind of out there. He is inviting us into his presence. He wants us to draw close. He wants us to draw near in the same way that a child snuggles with his parent. He wants us to snuggle, <laughs> snuggle with him. He wants us to be in close proximity. And listen, I'm not in any way downplaying the holiness and the righteousness and the otherness of God, but the point here is this, is that we have been given access. We can draw near to God. We can know him in the way that a child knows his father. We are, if you are in Christ, you are his child. You've been adopted into his family. What do we get when we draw near to God? If you draw near to God, you've probably experienced this, but you get comfort. He comforts us. He gives us wisdom direction, leading. He heals. He heals our hearts. Sometimes he heals physically. He provides healing as we draw near to him. He gives us hope. He changes our outlook, our understanding about the situation that we're walking through. He encourages us. He reminds us of things that are true, things that are right, things that are good. He gives us love and acceptance because of what he's done and achieved. That's what happens as we draw near to God. But let's not mistake, we're not, sometimes we get distracted by the benefits of drawing near to God. What we get when we draw near to God, you wanna know the best thing that we get? We get him. All of those things are a byproduct of his very nature, his character and who he is. So listen, church, let us draw near to God. We have the opportunity to know our creator, our maker, our father, our savior, our Lord. And as we draw near to him, then yes, he works in our life, but it is a direct result of him and his character and who he is. And so the invitation to all of us is, since we have all these things, let us then respond and draw near. How good would these words have sounded on ears that are tired, right? Hearts that are being hardened. This invitation of, hey, Remember what Christ has done and remember the response that we've been invited into. This was an encouragement for the church. Let us draw near. Let's keep going. Let's look at the next one, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Number two, the second let us statement is, is let us hold fast. I think this picture, if I can kind of put a picture, just like I put a picture with the draw near, I want to put a picture in your mind of this um, hold fast, and I need some, um, some help. I didn't actually line this up before the service, so you guys are all getting nervous as I'm scanning around, but I'm going to need two people to be voluntold. Um, can I actually have Micah and Dan? I feel like you guys are, are, are up for a challenge. Can you guys just come up here for a second? Um, you're now in the sermon, so congratulations. Congratulations. Um, 
uh, what, what I want to kind of give, like the holding fast has everything, come on up, um, has everything to do with what we're holding on to and the reasons that we're holding. You guys can just kind of stand right over there. I'm going to grab something here. Um, I have here a challenge, and I feel like you need this one, so I'm going to give you this backpack. You can just hold it here by this, um, this uh, right. little, yeah, just kind of right there. And then I'm going to give you this pen. And the challenge that I have for these guys today is this. Um, I want you to hold, both of you are going to hold the object out like, you know, in front of you, um, above your waist. And um, the, the, if you can go longer than him, I've got a, doll, or a, a mint. I've got a breath mint for you in my pocket, okay? All right? And if you can outlast him, I've got a dollar for you, okay? So, yeah, you guys just kind of do that. And then, so above your waist, we're kind of already... We'll see how long this lasts. Above one hand, one hand. Sorry. All right, we'll reset the timer. That's fine. That's fine. He's getting his head right. Okay. All right. Above your waist. You guys just let me know when it goes below the waist. All right. Um, here's the word that's being used here for hold fast. It's an ongoing call. Right. So it's like perpetual. It's it's this call to keep going. And it says hold on to, keep, detain, retain, contain, occupy, or possess. It carries the understanding that, um, that we keep a tight grip on and we don't let it slip away. Okay, that, yeah, there we go. Perfect. So you lost, no breath mint for you, and uh, you win, you get the dollar, and you can keep the pen. I will take this back. This is full of books. All right, give these guys a hand. See, the idea here is like this, this hold on to, right? Don't let it go. Don't let it slip away. And, and, and what was happening in the church is they, they had their faith, but some of them were, were loosening the grip, and, and some of them had, had allowed it to go away. And he's, he's saying, hold fast. Hold fast to what? The confession of our hope. He's like, hold on to your hope without wavering. This is this steady destination, right? This determined outcome here. And so the idea is, I, that illustration, the, the purpose of that is, obviously, what Mike is holding on to so much easier with a greater reward, right? Dan's holding on to something that's heavy. It really is heavy. That's, I tried it for, it was, I was sure he was going to quickly um, drop that, um, unless he's got some secret strength that I had no idea about. But it was filled with books. And so it's heavy. And then the reward, what's the purpose of it? Why? What, like, what, what value? Like, a breath mint? He can go get one for free in the bathroom. Like, you, like, there's, there's, like there's no need. Like, there's, like he did it, the only reason he did it for as long as he did it was just for personal pride. He didn't want to drop it immediately, right? Like, that's, that's the only thing that was kind of going on. The difference, what he's saying here to the people, he's saying, hold on to what? Hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. For what purpose? For everything. If you let go, there is no other anchor for your souls. Right? There is no other option. And so hold on, because this is the only thing that's worth holding on to. Like He's just encouraging them and saying, listen, this is worth holding on to, and it's, it's of value. But then you're reminded it's not even fully up to you. Because what does he say? He says, for he who promised is faithful. It's like, hold on, because the one who's holding you is faithful. God is working on your behalf to help you to hold on to that which you are holding on to. And some of you are debating, letting go, walking away, slipping from your faith. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're even there now. 
the encouragement would be is don't let go. Don't let it slip away. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We hold fast to this hope that we have in Christ. Thirdly, let's look at the third one. It says, let us consider how to stir up. The key action there is, is not to consider, that's part of it, but considering is only so good in that you apply it. So the key factor here is let us stir up. Let us stir up. So we have let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up. This word stir up, if it's used negatively, it communicates this strong emotion of irritation. Some of that is contained in the word itself. It's a provoke, but in a good way. It's a stimulation or motivation, right? And we understand this. Like if you've ever had a good coach, if some of you have played athletics or maybe... Maybe you uh, played an uh, instrument and you had a, a, a good director or, or leader in that. Or maybe you had in your academics or your studies, you had a teacher, but, but there's people in our life that have maybe stirred up or provoked you to do things that you necessarily didn't want to do. I had a coach that encouraged me to run faster and try harder and kind of push myself as much as I could. That's the kind of idea here. And, and not only that, but it says, let us consider uh, when we consider it, we notice it, we consider it, we pay attention to it, we look closely at it. It has the idea of riveting your attention on the need for or conscious activities of encouragement is the idea here. And so, uh, uh, Bree and I have a wedding anniversary coming up. It's our 18th. I'll just be honest, some years in our 18, I have done a good job of considering how to like celebrate and, and uh, reflect on our, our years of marriage. Other day years, I have not done as good a job. I still have a few weeks, so now that I'm going public with it, I'll, I'll let you know how this goes. We're going to be on um, our travels and trip when, when that happens. I don't even know if we're together on the actual day. Uh, that's not important to us. We, we kind of always are flexible on the day that we do it. But I need to give some thought to it, right? There's been years that it's like, oh, yeah, it's our anniversary, did you do anything? No? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary. Love you. You know, we should grab dinner soon. You know, I haven't considered that. Other years, like there's planning, there's preparation. I had some secret gift or some, you know, special night or something kind of planned and I've given some thought to it. See, the picture here is that we would consider that we would actually put effort into what? Into how to stir up, how to provoke each other in a positive way to what? To love and good works. We are to stir one another up, to push each other toward ministry, toward the love of Christ. This church is what we are called to do together, and it is so, so good. Part of this, part of this is meeting together. It says, not neglecting to meet together. To be clear, this isn't just the Sunday gathering. This is small groups. This is teams. This is just getting together. This is, ready for it? Summer suppers, right? <laughs> this is summer suppers. This is what we're going after. We want to meet together. Well, it's almost like we read ahead and we knew this was coming, right? Like, this is what we're doing. Church, we are meeting together and gathering together for the purpose of what? To stir one another up toward love and good work. So does that happen on a Sunday? Yes. Does it happen better in other places? Actually, yes. Like, Sundays is not the best place for it. It happens here, 
But honestly, small groups, just meetings, opening up your home is a much, much better place for that. Listen, what we're doing, I said I was going to kind of explain the counter. That's a way that as a pastor, I'm trying to stir you up. Some of you are like, man, I don't know. It seems kind of legalistic to put a counter up there. Listen, okay, call it what it is. But I'm trying to provoke you, right? Like I put a target out there, put a goal out there. I'm like, hey, church, let's go for it. Let's do it. Is it good to be pushed toward things that are good? Yes, for sure it is. And we need more of this. So what does this look like? How do we stir up one another? Well, it doesn't just happen. You don't just arrive at church and then find yourself stirring each other up. You gotta consider it in the same way that I gotta plan a special day for Bree, a special you know, evening of dinner or whatever you know, we're doing to remember and celebrate. For us, it's usually some fancy dinner out. That's how we typically do the, uh, the anniversary thing. But I gotta consider that. As you're coming to small groups, how many times are you thinking, man, who's going to be there? What, what are they going through? What do they need? What did they share last week that we need prayer? What have I been praying for them? Right? How can I encourage them? How can I see? Like, we need to consider that and, and put some intentionality and some effort into that. We need to provoke and stir one another up. Why? To love and good works. There's encouragement in this, right? It says encouraging one another all the more. As you see the day drawing near, Christ is going to return. And so as we get closer and closer to that day, we should be stirring each other up, provoking each other all the more. Church, this is what the church is all about. And it's so easy for us to slip out of meeting together. I would encourage you, like, make it a habit. Make like, coming here, being here on a Sunday, it is important. Like, make it a habit. Don't neglect it. Don't put it off. Small groups, if you're in a small group, one, you should be in a small group. If you're in a small group, like make it a habit. Go, be there. Why? Because you can't live this out. You can't do it if you're not in proximity with each other. It's not about some legalistic box checked. It is about the ministry that God has called us to, and we need one another. I need you as much to stir me up as you need me to stir you up. We need this together. And so church, this is what we've been invited to do. You know what, I love this, kind of standing back from all of it. One of the things that I think is so cool about this, around here we say that a disciple is someone who worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. Is that not what we see right here? Drawing near, worshiping Christ, holding fast. That's the walking with. It's one foot after another, day after day, keeping in steady relationship with Jesus, walking with Christ And then stirring up, that's ministry. That's the working for Christ that we've been called to do, stirring each other up toward love and good works. This church is what we are called to do. I'm excited for these weeks to come because there's more of this. There's more of the application in this. But if we miss this, if we don't get these let us's, then we are missing out on all the benefits, all the blessing of why Christ saved us and redeemed us. He wants us to draw near to him, to know him, to receive his benefits and blessings. He wants us to hold fast to that hope that we wouldn't be discouraged or distracted by anything else. And he wants us to stir one another up that we would grow further in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that you don't require the sacrifice of bulls or goats offered daily, yearly. 
in a temple, but Lord, you have made a way through the sacrifice, through the blood of your son, your own son. Jesus, we recognize and understand the way, Father, that you have invited us into this relationship with you. Lord, we want to draw near to you. We want to sing praises to you. God, we want to respond to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do just that. God, that we would see and recognize your nearness to us. God, that we would recognize what it is that you've given us, the hope that we have to hold on to, the anchor for our souls. And God, that we would take advantage of this thing that you call the church. God, this local community of believers to stir one another up, to to keep going. God, we pray that you will do just that here in our midst. God, we, we thank you for the blessing of knowing you. God, we thank you for your perfect sacrifice and we give you praise and worship for it. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray, amen.